Amen. Isn't that a beautiful song that we can come? My goodness, we can come before the Lord. And listen, I, I, Holy Spirit, smack me upside. Listen, I have nothing today that I can bring the Lord at all. I have nothing that I can bring before Him that He don't already own. I am nothing. I am completely insignificant in the whole process, and yet God still chose me to call me His Son. Well, if that don't get you fired up, the wood's wet. You know what I'm talking about. My goodness, that'll preach right there, my friends. Man, we start thinking we're something. We are quick to fall, aren't we? Hey, if you've got your Bible, turn in the Old Testament to Joshua chapter 24. We're starting a new series today, one we're kind of excited about. And it's called The Gospel-Centered Family. The Gospel-Centered Family. Um, Now, I am going to be very delicate in this series because... I know not every marriage is is perfect. My wife will tell you that our marriage is not perfect because she married me. Not every marriage is perfect, and yet and some marriages fail. Not every parent is successful, and some parents are successful, and yet their children still go a different way. Some children respect the Lord and they they follow after that and they're respectful to their parents. And yet, some children will grow up in church and then leave and and it'll be 20 or 30 years before they come back. The family is a unique thing. The family is an important thing. As we learn that that God instituted the family almost 7,000 years before he instituted the church. God has a high importance on family today. And yet, inside the church, the families are being split. The divorce rate among evangelicals is remaining right at 45%, while the divorce rate for non-evangelicals has dropped to 38%. So evangelicals are divorcing more than non-evangelicals. And you would say, and I've heard this, but we can, we can divorce and it's still healthy for the children. And I would argue that coming out of a divorced home, no, you can't. I grew up being pitted between my parents. I, I remember several times my, my, I would go visit my, my biological mother and she would question me or almost interrogate me on what we were doing. Has dad gotten a raise? Does she need more child support money? Like it wasn't a healthy situation. It was always, we want you to live with us. We want you here. Don't you want to be here? Don't you love us? And now maybe you don't act that way, but that was the environment that I grew up in. I came from a very dysfunctional family, and, and there was never an importance placed on the gospel. We were nowhere close to being a gospel-centered family. Maybe your story's similar. Maybe your story's not. Maybe, maybe you grew up in a family that, man, you, you not only went to church, but you had church in your home. Maybe you had parents that taught you about Jesus. Maybe you had a mom and a daddy who loved each other, and you see that. When we start thinking about the gospel-centered family, and we think about the importance of what it means to be in a family that, that promotes discipleship within the walls of the house, we have to reconcile the fact that, that fewer and fewer families are now in church. 
fewer and fewer families are now in church. And, and we began to see this. I, I'm a, I, love, I love some history, and, and some of you know that. I'll tell you some obscure stories that happened thousands of years ago. And I love, I love history, but in the 60s, we saw kind of the first turn in this. And, and some of you remember the 60s. I've read about it. Some of you remember the 70s, and I read about it. I was in diapers for a lot of the 80s. But what we see historically, through contemporary history anyway, is that somewhere around the 60s, we began to see a movement, this and we call it, uh, it's, it's recorded in history, and, and you know, this hippie free life movement that kind of swept, right? We blame it on, on, the, on the 50s generation as they introduced the Beatles and, and all of that devil music, as it was called. But we began to see the, this, this place where the church as a family really lost intentionality with the gospel. And listen to me today. When church becomes a checklist item for you, you've lost your love and vision for the gospel. When, when church becomes something that you've got to do because it's Sunday, then you're not passionately following the Lord. I know what you're going to say. Well, 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 Brother Jeff, listen, I'm just not that passionate of a person, okay? I, I, I sit here and, and, and listen, when we sit here and worship and we've got folks who sit there and they look like the, the ushers passed out lemons when they came in the door. You know what I'm talking about? They stand out. That ain't my favorite song. That drum's too loud. That guitar's too loud. That wasn't my favorite. That preacher, he don't wear a coat. We start getting like, we have lost our joy, We've lost our joy. And yet I'll hear people, well, I'm not passionate. And with all due respect, you're lying. With all due respect, you're lying. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. We have some passionate folks. We've got some passionate fans. No matter what side of the aisle you align on in your collegiate um, regards, when your quarterback gets sacked for a 15-yard loss or, or he gets sacked and fumbles the ball, you don't just go, well, darn. When you're, when you're watching your team, all, all them Cubbies winning that World Series, they got up in, the, in like the 13th inning and it's 2 a.m. in the morning. And, and, and listen, one thing about parenting, we're going to get to parenting in about three weeks. Um, I've learned the number one rule in parenting it doesn't matter what time you go to bed, your child's going to get up at the same time every morning. And I, that, I will get to that in a little bit. But So I remember, I, I'm passionate, and I remember when, when, when the Cubs, when they scored in the 13th inning to win the World Series, I wasn't sitting there going, well, geez, that was good, wasn't it? No, at 2 a.m., I'm like, woo! That's right! Like, baby screaming, Katie's yelling, the house is on fire, right? We're passionate people! Well, you get up to that, you get up to that register and you realize that shirt you bought was an extra 45% off. Woo! My goodness, we love it. We're passionate people. And yet, we don't connect passion to the church because we've lost our passion for the church. If we come in and we half-heartedly approach the gospel, it's not going to be a passionate thing. 
And yet God calls us to be, God wired you with that passion. Like you didn't develop that passion, God gave it to you. We're passionate creatures. And yet our joy for the for the church and our joy for our family has faded. Now we have substituted good parenting for coaches. We've substituted family time for technology. A pet peeve of, of my wife's, and it is mine as well, although I'm typically the culprit. Um, you ever been at a restaurant and seen a family that was blue faced? You know what I'm talking about? Blue, you know what I'm talking about when I say blue faced? The, the, the phones, the smartphones that everybody's got now, when you're looking at them, they put off a blue hue on your face. And we've been in restaurants before and seen a family of eight sitting there. They ain't said a word. All of them. And I'm not talking about just these young millennials that we like to blame everything on. Because remember, the problem started in the 60s. So it's not just their fault. Now, they're not helping. And we'll get to them after a while. But the whole family, Papa and Mama was there. And you had three generations of family members there. And they're all blue-faced. Every one of them. They're texting each other. We've lost our ability to communicate. We've lost our ability to love the family. Now family time is centered around what's on TV. Now family time is centered around what we can go do. Listen, family time is probably not your kids playing and you sitting on the bleachers. That's probably not adequate family time. Fam- and listen, I know. I'm, I'm there with you. Like this week, I got home one night before 7 o'clock. One night. Like, I'm there with you. I know how strenuous time is. I know how valuable time is. Time is the most important. You know, for, for some of us, it's different. Now, because I know that when Kate and I first got married, time wasn't the most valuable resource we had. It was the old dollar. Well, that, that ain't the case anymore. Now, the dollar's not the most valuable resource. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough time. And this life calls time. If I'm going to be the leader of a gospel-centered family, I need time to invest into my wife. I need time to invest into my son. I need time to show them the gospel. I've got family members who aren't engaged in church. I've got, I've got parents who aren't passionately walking with Jesus. And that stuff takes time for us to be able to do that. And yet we fill our days so full that we have none. Joshua, in, in the book of Joshua, he is taking over the Israelites. He's got that, that million people, and they're walking, and now they're inside the land of, of Israel, and they're taking over the promised land. And, and yet we come to, to Shechem, and something happens in Shechem. God calls the people to remember their Lord. And, and, and for the family, there's going to have to come a time that we remember who our Lord is. We have to remember what we're about, who our identity is. It's not in what we are. It's not in in how much we make. It's not in what side of town we live on. It's not our occupation. It's not our hobbies. Our identity must be in the Lord Jesus Christ. Joshua 24, great, great text here. They're renewing their covenant there in Shechem and they come to verse 14 and Joshua has told them he says now listen the gods that your father had across the river the gods they had before they were in Egypt the gods they had long even before that because you remember Abraham's father was not a believer he he's telling them there have been gods that have crept in and now they're here and he says we're not going to worship them anymore that's where he's building from so in verse 14 he says now therefore all that is what the therefore was now therefore Fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity 
and in faithfulness put away the gods of your fathers that were served beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the God of the Amorites whose land you dwell. Joshua makes this statement. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The people answered and said, Far be it for us that we should forsake the Lord and serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who died and, and who did those great signs in your sight and preserved us in all the ways that we went and among all the people whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the people, the Amorites who lived in the So the first key is that we understand that God is the foundation of the family. God is the one who, who made the family structure. You remember in Genesis that, that God told Adam, he, he tells him, he says, for this purpose, man will leave his mother and father and he will cleave to his wife. Now notice that the Bible said wife. He, he didn't say significant other. He didn't say that one his heart is bent towards. He, he said that, that he would leave his family and he would cling to his wife. God has never changed his mind there. He's always said wife. Ephesians 5.1, God, God tells us that we are to imitate him. We need to be like him in the family and in the relationships within the family. We need to act and react like God would. The, the challenge of Ephesians 5, 1 is, is not only are we to act like God, that word imitate, you, 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 some of us had younger siblings, I, I had a younger sister, and they all go through that phase, you know, when you want to hit them, and, and they're always, you know, when they do that mimic thing, and you say something, and they say the same thing, and, and you do something, and they, I had a shadow for the longest time, it was a, she was seven years younger than me, and she stayed right there, wherever, wherever I went, she was too, she imitated me, she did the same things I did, good and bad, well, we got... That's a, the light, and you remember that, and, and yet that's the exact thing that God is saying. He says, I want you to imitate me. The things that I have done, I want you to do. In good, I want you to follow me. In faithfulness, I want you there. In dedication, I want you there. God's been pretty dedicated to us. The cross is the evidence of God's faithfulness. So he says, we, we have to understand that God is our foundation and he is the architect this means that love radiates out of the lives we lead in our family how do you love your family how do you love your family and so, listen I'm talking the nuclear family we'll, we'll get to the cousins and uncles later does, does your children see you love your spouse does your children see you love your wife? Does your wife see you love your children? Do they see that love of Christ? Because we're imitators of God and God is the God of love. Do they see that represented? Do they, do they see that? Because this is the nucleus of the family. It's all built on love. The covenant, and listen, love, 
we, we probably need to define love because we have raised a generation of people now that believe that love is this warm feeling you get inside your heart. Love's not an emotion. Love is a choice. Love is a choice. You choose who you love. And some people, my friends, listen, some of them are hard to love. Some of them are hard to love, but that doesn't negate the call that God's placed on our life that we are to love our family. We are loved family. And, and yet we, we are, again, are raising a generation of people who, who no longer see that because we enter covenant relationships and yet they've become more contractual. I was preaching a wedding several years ago now and the the couple came up to me and they said we want you to preach our wedding and I said and I don't do a lot of weddings you guys have kind of heard my heart on that I don't do a lot of weddings and and um, you know I tried to get out of it and they were persistent and so they said well well, listen now we we want a contractual wedding and again redneck Jefferson County I didn't know what that was I googled it And a contractual wedding is not necessarily a covenant before the Lord. You've kind of taken that out, and you're you're just kind of saying before the state we identify now as husband and wife. It it would be an equivalent of you going before kind of the justice of the peace. There's no biblical references there. That's what they wanted from me. And I was like, once I realized what, you know, I Googled it. And once I realized what they were talking about, absolutely not. Absolutely not. The covenant we made, listen, the the covenant my wife and I made were before the Lord, most importantly. We had an auditorium full of folks. We we, we were in all the garb, and we looked at the part. But it wasn't the state of Alabama document that holds us together. It was the covenant we made before the Lord. We We take that covenant just as serious as we take our salvation because we see them, God gave each other to us, and those are things that we don't fudge on. We hold that commitment up before the Lord because it, it's representative of God and God's faithfulness. In Ephesians 5, 1 through 4, it says, Therefore, be an imitator of God as beloved children. Walk in love as, as Christ has loved us. And he gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering to sacrifice to God. He says, But sexual immorality and all purity and covetousness must not even be named among you as it is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. When was the last time you looked at your children or your wife or your, your husband and you thanked them? I am so impressed with moms. Moms are the only people I know that will put in 40 hours a week and come home and do 40 more. They know where everything is. They're the last ones to go to bed, first ones up. My wife is resilient. I'm, I would say that even if she wasn't in the room. She's an amazing woman who I am incredibly thankful for. But, you know, even I don't tell her thank you enough. It says, out of the overflow of Ephesians 5, we should be thankful for those that God has placed in our life. That we we would look at our spouse who is just as tired as we are, and yet they're preparing dinner. Or we look at our spouse who's just as tired as we are and they're preparing a meal. Or we, we know that our kids had a rough day at school and yet they come home and they've, they, they've done what you've asked them to. Now they're washing dishes. When was the last time you said, hey, thank you. Thank you for just being faithful. 
We've lost our faithfulness for the family. We've lost our identity in who God's called the family to be. We must walk in love. We need to have extravagant love. Do you remember? You remember when you first started dating that significant other? You remember that, that heart change, that heartbeat? You remember how much you loved that person? Boy, it, it was like t- intoxicating, wasn't it? Well, you just had a love and, woo, they, they, you, they didn't have any wrong in them. You remember, love's blind. Y'all know that. Some of you pointing at your spouses. Y'all quit that. Love will make you not see something that, that's there. Love is an, a beautiful thing. And, but you remember when you, were started, when you first started dating, there was no mountain you wouldn't move. Guys, you remember. I remember when Katie and I first started dating. It'd be Friday night. I'd clean up the truck, right? Armor all them tires. You know what I'm talking about. Put on that cologne. Hair was just right. Walk in. My letterman jacket on because I was still in high school. That thing looked good on me. Walk in. It was 80 degrees outside. I was still wearing that letterman jacket. Y'all know what I'm, I, You remember that. And you treated that lady. Well, you would, there was nothing you wouldn't do. No dollar. You spent money you didn't have. And yet somewhere along the way in marriage, we forget that love can be extravagant. And I'm not saying you need to take them out to Ruth Chris every day, although occasionally they wouldn't say no, okay? We, we, we get into the rut of marriage and we forget how to date. We forget how to date. And I, I, again, I'm there. I'm there. You work 60 hours a week. You don't want to, you want to go to bed. You don't want to go to date. You want to go to bed. And yet we have to carve out that time and we have to carve out that for our significant other because we want them to know how much we love them. We also want them to know they matter. Everybody wants to feel important. Everybody wants to feel like what they do matters. So we, we build that off Christ being our foundation. The second thing that, that we do is we begin to understand that for a healthy family unit, we must have commitment and submission. Do you remember the day you said, I do? I do. My wife laughed during our vows. Brother John was preaching our wedding, and, and he goes, Katie, do you submit to your husband? She went, <laughs> yeah. I should have picked up on that. We have to, in, in our family, we, we have to commit to submission. We have to c- commit to submission. Now listen, God has placed the man as head of the household. And again, he's never changed his mind on that. Next week, we're going to talk about that. In fact, next week, this is a plug. Next week, if you're in here, next week is for the men. Now women, you come on. Because you're going to want to hear it. Because you can keep your feet to the fire. Right? So if your husband's not here today, get him here next Sunday. Because it's his game. We're going to talk about how, how the man is the head of the family. All spiritual development starts with him. All spiritual encouragement starts with him. If he doesn't do it right, it all falls. Now, now, I know your mom's like, but we're trying. We are. We are. But you are. You're doing a fantastic job, but you're not doing the job that God's called you because you're having to do the job that God called someone else to do, and he's not doing it. And so that was a plug. That one's free. We must commit to 
to submission. And what that means is, is I don't walk around, listen, God placed me as the head of my family, and I don't walk around like woman sandwich now. I don't say those words in my family because um, I would have to duck right after that. Um, we commit and we submit to one another. That, that means it's now my job to serve her faithfully, to serve her faithfully, not out of obligation, not because I have to, but because I get to. I serve my wife faithfully. And what that means is, in several realms, number one, I don't look at any other woman. I, I, I don't lust after any other woman. I'm never alone with any other woman. Everything I, I do is very protected, not because I'm worried that I may slip and fall, but because I don't want there to ever be even a chance for someone to say, would you say where the pastor was? He was up at Munoz. Well, what's her name? No, you're not going to hear that. You will never see that. Because I, I've submitted to my wife. I have love and affection towards her and no one else. I don't allow myself to, to go to places. I don't look at women and think, oh, she's good. I don't do that. Because I know I am close to sin at every point. And I guard my heart and I guard this relationship because I know God has placed her in my life. And, and, and until God removes her or me by death, we're together. And so I've given myself to that commitment of submission. Thirdly, the third key for a healthy family unit is loyalty and faithfulness. Loyalty and faithfulness. Are you loyal to your family? I don't, I don't, and guys, we're bad about this. And girls, I know you are too. You won't tell us that, but I know. Sometimes when you get around your friends, you start telling stories, and it becomes a one-up scenario on whose husband or whose wife is the worst. I, I know it happens. I, maybe, not, I have, maybe not in this church, but you know other churches, they have that problem where we, we, don't, up, we don't uphold our family. We've lost the loyalty. Listen, you, you don't talk about my wife. I, I uphold my family as one of the most sacred things in all of this world. I don't have jokes to tell about my wife. I don't tell bad jokes. I don't do that because I love the unit of our family that much. I'm not going to degrade it. I'm not going to degrade it because if it starts in humor, eventually you'll get home. And before, and the first time you get in an argument, that's going to come back up. Because when you fill your head with trash, it will eventually come out your mouth. I may not say anything more wise than that. You better write that down. If you fill your head with trash, eventually it will come out your mouth. And when you're speaking of that, you're not being faithful to your marriage and your spouse. You're not being loyal. You're being degrading. And that's not pointing people to Jesus. The fourth thing is respect your spouse as your best friend. You respect your spouse as your, as your best friend. If it's foundation for a gospel-centered family, you have to have respect for the person whom you're married to because even as i don't walk in calling the shots when god created eve it wasn't so that she could fix adam dinner okay he created eve as a helpmate who would stand beside him and support him it was never a go fetch person he never created or instituted marriage in that level but he's always instituted marriage in a way that now two people under the union of, of, of Christ by marriage can serve and glorify God as one body. So we 
we have love and we treat our spouse as our, our closest friends. My wife will tell you there's stories that we know about each other that no one else knows. There's things in our lives that we would never share outside of the, the confinements of even our bedroom. Things that we would never even disclose to our son, that, that we're that close and we, we tell each other everything. That there's, there's, there's literally no secrets. There's no stories she hasn't heard. I promise you. They don't get funnier. They don't get better. We treat each other with that kind of respect because we, there's a God who has loved us and he has shown us that. The gospel-centered marriage... The gospel-centered family is rooted in, in that word, the gospel. You see, I, don't, I, di- I didn't become this model husband. Keep the roll eye, eyes rolling down. I'm going to stand over here. Steve won't hit me. God never, God, I didn't get to where I am in my marriage because I just evolved into this wonderful husband and I pick up my dirty socks and I know where the laundry basket is and I wash the dishes. I didn't evolve in, into this this, this husband, because of uh, I learned those tricks, I evolved into this husband because there's a God who loved me first. I don't love my wife with an empty love. I love my wife because God has loved me first. And when we ask God how much he loves us, we can look at the cross as our measuring tape. God loved us enough to send his son to the cross. And he says now, that I've sent my son to the cross. He died a death that you should have died because we're sinful pagans. He, we are now allowed to live the life that we couldn't live because we've been redeemed. Now he says, imitate me in love. Imitate me in love. And again, I know, I know, I know marriages fail. And I know things happen. And I, I am empathetic there with you. But I also know there, there comes a point in time where a lot of us have just quit trying. There comes a time in marriage when, when if we're not careful, we get lazy. Or we let everything else take precedent. For us to be a gospel-centered family, listen, the church is only as strong as the family. If we lose the family, we lose the church. They're synonymous. As you begin to disciple your children, they'll have a passion for church. As you begin to disciple your grandchildren, your nieces, your nephews, they'll develop a passion for the church. But they're probably not going to get it from some overweight, balding man standing up on a stage. They're going to get it because their mama and papa love Jesus. They're going to get it because they see mama and daddy serving Jesus. And even if you're divorced and you're, you're raising and, and then you're walking through that very difficult process, they're still going to get it when they see mama worshiping Jesus. They're going to see it when they see daddy worshiping Jesus. No matter what circumstances you walk in, it doesn't change your faithfulness before the Lord. We walk in a manner worthy of which we've been called. And we've been called by Jehovah God himself to be faithful. Today, if, if you're here today and, and maybe, maybe you're saying, Jeff, man, all that sounds really good, but that's just not where we're at. Our, our marriage is, is, listen, marriages can be like a fight if we're not careful. If we don't pay attention to it, if we don't nourish that relationship, if we don't walk in that, or maybe it's the children, man, we're trying, but they're just not, they're not hearing us, they're not respectful, they've lost that. Maybe you need the Lord's help in that. Maybe you need to walk faithfully with the Lord. And listen, we know you can't, listen, the Bible calls child rearing, they call it child rearing for a reason, because you don't, you raise corn, you rear children, and there comes a point in 
time when the Bible says you release children like a like an archer with an arrow. And once that child, once that arrow is out the gate of that arrow, you no longer have control. But you trust in the Lord Jesus that He is faithful, and no matter what winds blow, that arrow will hit the target that you aimed at. We know children can go awry. We know they can go astray. We know those things happen. But we also know prayer can change some mighty things. Maybe today you need to come pray for your children. Maybe today you need to come pray for your wife, your husband, your parents. For us to be a a gospel-centered family, we must have the gospel center. And so I, I, I pray that if you haven't done that, these altars will be open. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Christ, we pray that you would do a mighty work in this place. God, we know that the family the family in our culture has dissipated. We've bought into the lie sold sold by government officials that's, that says it, it does it it's not just a family, it takes a whole community to raise a child and yet you've called the mom and the daddy to raise it. We've bought into the lie that if we're not happy that we can find someone else who makes us happy and And we try that route, and that's never been what you said. Father, you've called us to be faithful. And God, when we have the gospel as our center, we will be faithful. When we have the promises of Scripture hidden in our heart, we will be faithful. And so, Father, I pray in the power of the Holy Spirit today that you would begin to restore families. That you would begin to redeem families who, who, though they may be shaken, though they may be broken, they, though they may feel like they're crumbling, God, you're still able to restore. Your power is limitless as viewed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's nothing that you cannot do today. And so, God, we pray that in this time that you would have your will in your way. God, we pray for for husbands and dads that, that they would be the men you've called them to be for for wives and and for mothers that, that they would be the women you've called them to be for the children who are in this room they would remember the ten commandments and that we should honor our father and our mother god we pray that you do a mighty work in this time in the name of christ we ask and all god's people said amen will you stand and sing with us this morning